Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Born to Run, the album. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. This is a podcast that once spoke about every Bruce Springsteen song in alphabetical order, but now we talk about the album. So we're in our second season. We're going through album by album, one by one. Today, we're talking about the album Born to Run, and I'm Rob Carmack, and I'm joined here by J.B. Clark, as always. What's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm, Dude, I'm excited to talk about possibly the greatest record ever made. No it big deal. It is definitely uh, in the conversation. It definitely is in the conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, we're... Uh, to sort of catch everybody up on what we're doing, I kind of already said it in the intro, but we're in the second season of this podcast. We've shifted formats, and we're, we're talking about albums. We're talking about every Bruce Springsteen album from 1973 to present day. And we're not doing it in alphabetical order. We are doing these in chronological order. That's correct. So this is our yes. third album episode, and we're talking about Bruce Springsteen's third album, which is, as I mentioned before, Born to Run. Born That's to right. Run as an album, just some basic facts, as it were, to get things. Some, some things never change, J, JB. And one of the things that never changes is that we need to, to get our basic, basic facts straight. Well, and the facts don't change. That's correct. If they changed, then really the classification changed because facts can't change. Well, welcome to America. So anyway, so uh, yeah, we're talking about Born to Run and the album. The basic facts on this album are as such or as, as follows. Excuse me. Uh, Born to Run was released on August the 25th, 1975 from Columbia Records. It was recorded at, or partially, part of it was recorded at 914 Sound Studio in Blauvelt, New York, which is where Bruce's previous two albums were made. And it was then, the recording sessions were moved, and we'll talk more about that as we get to it. Uh, They were moved to the record plant in New York City. So that's the uh, sort of the, the... the the bare bones of what this is the so th- this album came out in 1975 and jb you know i love some context so let me tell you let me tell you what other albums came out the same year all right let's hear it. it's an interesting year for music so other albums released in 1975 were uh blood on the tracks by bob dylan wish you mm. were here by pink floyd horses right. yeah horses by patty smith tonight's the night by neil young fleetwood max uh self-titled album fleetwood mac Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin, Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith, The Heat is On by the Isley Brothers, ABBA, their self-titled album, ABBA, David Bowie's Young Americans, Willie Nelson's Red-Headed Stranger, Bob Dylan and the band put out The Basement Tapes, um, One of These Nights by The Eagles, and Still Crazy After All These Years by Paul Simon. And also, Elton John released a Greatest Hits album, which was the best performing album of, of 1975. Technically, that's insane. So all of those artists went on to record for decades, for the most part, right? For the most part, yeah. In some form or fashion, and um, those are all in their top three, top five conversations. Yeah, seventy-five was was a really strong year if you were a, if, if you were a music fan, and that wasn't even all of them. Those were those were just like the biggest biggest ones. That's amazing. Born, yeah. So Born to Run is released amidst those albums, and Rolling Stone magazine in 1975 names Born to Run the best album of the year. Which, considering the albums that I just named, wow. is pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. Which also is pretty noteworthy because, as we mentioned before, Bruce has released two other albums up to this point, and both of those albums were virtually all but completely ignored by Rolling Stone magazine. Rolling Stone magazine yeah. barely Un- even mentioned either of those records. Unmentioned by yeah, yeah. Rolling Stone, the popular press. Yeah, compared to, to what he would receive later, there were, specifically yeah. compared to album of the year. Yes, and so th- this this album like it really hit like a like a thunderbolt. So the album is released. Rolling Stone magazine gives it 
like glowing like Bruce's first of many glowing reviews from Rolling Stone magazine. It um it it sells very well and that's a, that's really important because Bruce's whole career kind of needed him needed this album to sell very well. Also um it, it, in addition to Rolling Stone magazine, Bruce got and a, and a ton, just an absolute ton of media attention because this was the year, just two months after this album releases, this is the year that both Newsweek magazine and Time magazine both put Bruce Springsteen on their covers in the same week. That has Woo. never, that is the only time that's ever happened to any wow. person. And it wow. was in, it was in response to this album. So this album changed Bruce Springsteen's life, really. In in ways that nothing, yeah. In, in ways that nothing would until Born in the USA would kind of um, level him up again later, about nine years later. But um, but yeah, up to this point, this is by far the most successful thing Bruce Springsteen has ever done. Oh, also Rolling Stone yeah, magazine, say. say what? I said I'll say. Yeah. So also this is unimportant what I said. <laughs> uh, also, Rolling Stone magazine has included this album on their list of best 500 albums of all time. It's number 18, which is Bruce's highest album on the list. This album, this album is beloved. It's it's generally regarded to be one of the great albums ever made. And it, in my personal opinion, I think it may be the greatest album ever made. So, no big deal. We're just here to talk about that. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... One of, yeah, absolutely. It's one of the best albums ever made. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and also it reached number one on the U.S. record world chart and number three on the U.S. billboard chart, which uh, previously I think the highest Bruce had ever charted was like number 60 with Greetings from Asbury Park. So like this, that's, this is a far cry from 60. Yeah. In the United States. It's wild that we talk about 60 on that chart being, being not as successful. <laughs> well, I mean, if yeah. If I had a top 60 record, you – you would mention that to your friends. You'd be like, my friend JB, the one with the top 60 record. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, and th there's also the thing of like, that would feel very successful unless Columbia Records is paying for your, you know, for, for your music and they decide like 60 is yeah. not good enough for them, you know, which yeah. is which was the case for this album or for le the lead up to this album. Oh, also, um, speaking of album sales, in the US, this album has been certified platinum six times, so which oh, means it's, it has sold over 6 million copies. That's insane. That is insane. That's that, that, I mean, that's a juggernaut. That's a that's a big album. So so that is those are sort of the bare bones of what this is. Um, in the studio, the producers named for this album, uh, Bruce Springsteen is, is named as uh, on, on the list of producers, which is the first time that's happened. Up up to this point, the producers for Bruce's two previous albums were Mike Appel and Jim Kritikos. Uh, Kritikos is no longer there, and so Bruce Springsteen set, steps in. But also, this is the first of Bruce's albums that will be produced by John Landau. So um, John Landau, up to this point, was a music critic, and he had very famously written a review about a concert he had gone to where Bruce Springsteen had performed. And he he wrote, very famously, he wrote, I've seen the future of rock and roll, and his name is Bruce Springsteen. So at that point, John Landau stops becoming a music critic, and he becomes basically, he gets into the Bruce Springsteen business. And he does so before yeah. anybody is making any money off of Bruce Springsteen. So that paid off really well and continues yeah. to. John Landau continues to be Bruce's uh, business manager to this day. And this is this is where their relationship began. Also, the engineer in the studio was a young man by the name of Jimmy Iovine, who yes. is one of the true music moguls. It, like, would go on to produce a, lots of iconic records, but also he's the co-founder of Beats by Dr. Dre. So he's uh, right. he, he's he's, doing, he's made a little bit of money. He's in doing music. just fine. Yeah. What's uh, the record? Uh, I mean, what's the what's the documentary series on HBO? Oh, I forgot the name of it with with him and Dr. Dre. The, and, the I mean, the there's a whole episode ones. about. Yeah, the Defiant ones, and there's a whole episode about Bruce Springsteen and Born to Run on there. Yeah, he talks about it. A little, well, and really, this is the album that put him on the map. This is the album that made everybody else like. He would go on to produce um, 
Damn the Torpedoes by Tom Petty, which was all, was basically Tom Petty's Born to Run. That that cha- yeah. that was the version of in, in in Tom Petty's career. That was the album that did all the things that Born to Run had done for Bruce Springsteen. And Jimmy Iovine is in the booth for both of those projects. So he becomes sort of like a Midas Touch kind of guy in, in yeah. the world of producing rock records. And he was there like what, because he was the one who was willing to work the night shift or something like that. Yeah, and, and and that that shows up a lot in. Um, I don't know if you've seen. There's a documentary about the making of Born to Run. It's called Wings for Wheels. Have you seen that? I have not. I, I need to. It's really good. I just watched it earlier this week just to sort of prep for this. And one of the things that they talk about is like Jimmy Iovine like kept he, he he became kind of like sour because Bruce just kind of refused to ever let anybody go home while they were making this album. And so Iovine, I mean, yeah, he stayed in the booth, but sometimes he would like chew gum just to keep himself awake. And sometimes he would pretend to be asleep as if to like say like we should all be at home right now. Yeah. Um but yeah, That's he was funny. he was in the booth. He was in the studio with them the, the the whole time. So yeah, this is uh this is also the E Street band is sort of becoming more fully formed here. Um and we'll actually we'll, I'll save that for when we get into the the track by track. Anyway, that's okay. that's a lot of that's a lot of lead up. Those are that's that's sort of the backstory here. Initial thoughts, JB. What are you? When's the first time you encountered this album? Uh, I mean, it, I've talked about it a few times, but it was just you know in my the first time I encountered it as a real record was uh, sometime right after college when someone just got mad at me for not having really studied Springsteen, mm-hmm. and uh, so I went you know and did my album by album thing, and and I just yeah, this is just one of those records that. You kind of fly through, and then and then you're halfway through the next record, and you think like, "Wait a second, and you go back, you know? Yeah, which is something to say because the next record is is uh, no chump either. No, yeah, the, the next two records are unbelievable. Well, and I don't want to jump the gun, but you just said something about this is where the Easter Band kind of is fully formed. This is that, that that's what really grabbed me mm. is that like, oh man, this guy's a band leader. Like this guy is a conductor, and 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 not just that, but like, and this band is. So good, you know. Just this is the moment when you realize everybody's band could be doing their own thing and be making plenty of money doing it. Yeah, well, and I mean, you're not the only one to think that too, because during the recording of this album, two of the band <laughs> yes. members say what? I just I was remembering the story and laughing. Was, which which story are, are, are you think I'm a, we're about to get into? Where some band members were trying to go out on their own because they oh. weren't getting paid. Yeah. So yeah, at the beginning, yeah, the personnel is different at the end of these sessions than than they are at the beginning. So uh, at, before they start recording, Vinny Lopez is the drummer for the E Street Band. David Sanchez is the piano player, and they've just hired another guy um, named I forgot his name. Oh shoot, I'm having a panic moment here. Where'd the guy's name go? Boom Carter is, but I'm I'm trying to think what is what is Boom's real name? Um, here I have the internet. Ernest Carter. Ernest, yeah. This album could have killed the entire E Street Band, and we'll talk more about that as when we get to the title track, especially because okay, so basically the the backstory here is Bruce's first two albums, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, and Wild the Innocent and the E Street Shuffle. Each of those albums was released by Columbia Records, and they were expecting a lot of things, and it just did not find the audience big enough for Columbia to feel good about holding on to their contract with Bruce Springsteen. So they pretty much they go to Bruce Springsteen and they tell the, tell him like, look, we're not even going to finance a full album. We want you to make a song, and we want you to use this song to convince us to let you make another album. So now Bruce has to fight for his life to make yeah. one. He, he has to, I mean, he, he, it's basically, you, you haven't been able to write a song 
a, a hit single yet on the first two albums. So you get one more chance to write one hit single or you no longer have a record contract. So go go get to work. So Bruce goes and he, he writes Born to Run and they begin to record it over and over and over and over again in the studio. And this is when <laughs> yeah. this is when people start dropping out. This this one song pretty much just like split the entire E Street band in half because they just like he like it could never ever be good enough. Bruce continued to second guess himself and rewrite and re-record and um and and just continue to like no matter how it, what it was, continue to think this is just not going to work. And it took them 6 months to finally finish one song, Born to Run. That's infuriating, man. I I cannot imagine being a member of the E Street Band and just having to go every single day back into the studio. Like over I mean over the, the course of 6 months in and out of the studio. Being like, no, we don't have it yet. We don't have it yet. And then thinking, like, I can't oh. imagine. And then they that song. I would have quit afterwards when he told me we were going to play it live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if I'd played that many times, no matter how good it is. Here's the crazy thing about that: is the people in the, that meeting at Columbia Records when they talk to their grandkids about Bruce Springsteen, they paint themselves as the absolute heroes of Bruce Springsteen's career. <laughs> well, I mean. I, you kind of have to wonder if they're right, if that's what they're doing. Cause yeah. no. Yeah. And, and we'll they, talk more. They have the, it's, the argument is there. It's just, that's funny that yeah. like the, the, you know, the evil executives are the ones who pushed the most unpushable around artists to go make a single. And he did. And it was one of the best songs ever written in the history of the world. Yeah. Because yeah, usually the, that's, that's a good point. Cause usually the story goes the other way. It's that like some guy with a, with a suit and a, and a cigar walk, walks into the studio, he gives notes and then either they follow the notes and destroy the art or they ignore the notes and create something great in spite of them. And this is one of those situations where it's like, no, the guys in the suits, like maybe they were onto something and maybe they knew, or I mean, and, or maybe it was just accidentally that they, they struck gold. Cause my, my yeah. thinking is probably they did not expect Bruce to bring a single adequate. I, I, I think they were fully prepared to just cancel his contract. You know, oh, when they heard Born to Run, they all pooped their pants, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) I was talking to somebody. We're going to talk later about um, the top five first track side one uh, songs. Oh, for our Patreon episode. Yeah, yeah, because for our Patreon bonus episode, Thunder Road is one of the best first track first side songs of all time. Side A track one. Yeah. And I was talking to a coworker today about uh, one of the songs I'm going to talk about, and that is uh, Good Times, Bad Times by Led Zeppelin. Oh, it's just like here. Well, and, and I, I'm just, you know, give them a little taste so they can, you know, if anybody wants to listen to the bonus episode, that's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. We're talking about Zep over there. <laughs> but right. imagine that was the first song. So people have heard some people have heard Bruce Springsteen. A lot of people haven't. But this is different enough that I imagine being the record executive in that room and hearing this for the first time. It's probably like the world was whenever they heard Good Times, Bad Times for the first time. And I was asking my buddy, like, what do you do? There's no, you probably haven't heard of Muddy Waters. You, no one's heard of metal because it doesn't exist yet. You've only heard just like regular pop rock, you know, to this point, like some rock and roll, yeah. some groovy rock and roll tunes. Some, you know, there's some kids out there trying to do some other stuff with some groovy rock and roll tunes, but nobody's thinking about metal. And then you hear, you hear good times, bad times for the first time. And I looked at him, I said, what do you do with your body? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, like that's how this is. It's like, what if you just you're you're in a suit, you're in a stodgy conference room, and some kid comes in and puts on Born to Run, and you're sitting there looking at the guy next to you, going, "This is gonna suck. I'll get out of here in a minute. I, I got lunch plans already." Anyway, this kid, you know, he, he, we had so much promise. We next done. He didn't have all these songs. He had nothing. You know, it's yeah. what, it was just top sixty. Come on, get out of here. And then <laughs> Born to Run comes on, and you just are like, "What do you do with your body?" Do you take your suit off? Do you dance? Do you get up from the table and dance? Do you like what do you do? 
I don't know. It's it, it's a it's a really exciting record, and it, it's funny because, and we'll talk more about this when we get into Darkness on the Edge of Town next week. But Bruce's arguably two, Bruce's two best albums came out of a moment of desperation and deep adversity. You know, like both those albums were pretty much just like, if this doesn't work, we're not going to make it. And I mean, clearly Bruce does his best work under immense amounts of pressure. And and we could talk also about how like the opposite is also true. Like the the two albums that he made when he had all the resources and all the time in the world were Lucky Town and Human Touch. You know, like when Bruce, when Bruce feels like fear or anxiety or a little bit of t- like a lot of tension, that that's when he tends to really like swing for the fences. And uh, and I think this, this well, album in Darkness. A, there's a sort of a. I'm sorry, I cut you off. There, no, there's sort good. of a movement in the creative world. There was for a little while this, for for a long while this, this sort of like idea that creatives only create when they have ultimate freedom. And and there's this this other idea um, that I think is truer that like creatives create best when there's like rules that they've they've put in place. Yeah. Under pressure. Absolutely. And and I, I mean yeah, you can't argue with the finished product, which is. Absolute perfection. Yeah, one to run. So, anyway, on that, you you want to get into the track by track? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. So you drop the you put the record down on the turntable. You drop the needle. Track one, side one. The greatest song ever written, Thunder Road. The screen door slams. Mary's dress like a vision she dances across the porch as the radio plays Roy Orbison singing for the lonely Hey, that's me and I want you only Don't turn me home again, I just can't face myself alone again Don't run back inside And I love the way it starts because you're, it's almost like Bruce is saying, um we've talked about this on its own and the harmonica is amazing the piano that's amazing but but in the context of this record and his last records and the and the record company and the way the other ones performed it's like hey so you guys think i'm in this like singer songwriter guy and like yeah sure maybe i am and, and here i'll do it for a little bit check this out i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you about mary i'm gonna play some harmonica there's some piano so there's a screen porch there's a lot of imagery so it's it's great right but in the context of of uh of the records He's saying, oh, yeah, this is me, the guy that you all thought was going to be the next Bob Dylan, and this is me being me right now. And then the band comes in after that first verse a little bit at a time, you know, like there's some bass and there's some 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 drums and, and the band's coming up. and There's sax. And, and it's just like, oh, dang, this is a whole new thing. Yes. And and this is and the, the dominant theme of this album is escape. You know, and and basically like self realization and freedom, but it's also I in in the Wings for Wheels documentary, Bruce talks about how what he wanted to do. He wanted to create an entire album where every every song was could have each of these songs could have all been taking place on exactly the same night in the summer. And oh that, yeah, that to me is that's that's a great way to sort of explore this album because a lot of times the in most Bruce Springsteen albums, there's there's a character arc, there's a trajectory. Uh, we, and we talked about that a lot in the previous two records, especially in Greetings from Asbury Park. But here, it's less about like an arc, and it's more like these are set pieces all taking place on the same summer night somewhere in New York or New Jersey. And to me, that is that is fascinating. Like that that because he he's creating a world, and he, he's not necessarily like I'm going to tell you like one continu- like continuous story. He's saying I'm going to tell you eight stories, and each of them is going to be about a different way that people experience summer nights. You know? Yeah. 
This summer night. This summer. This yeah. This one singular summer night, and he opens it with Thunder Road, and Thunder Road is the is, is the song. It's it's about escape, obviously, and so it's about yeah. um you know he he like you mentioned he he goes to Mary's house, the, the screen door slams, and he's he's about to get out of town. He he needs to get. It's a town full of losers, and he wants to pull out of here to win. And he really really yeah. hopes Mary's going to come with him. And where they go is unclear, but they're going to go somewhere, and they're going to go tonight. Everywhere. And, yeah. And it's going to be and nowhere. Yeah. And it's going to be. Amazing. So I love I love placing this first because it's um, if this is his first record born to run, it goes like born to run and then 10th Avenue freeze out and then Thunder Road, maybe or maybe Thunder Road like it's really close to the end. Yeah. But because of where he is in his career, his last records and how the record company feels about him. This is the first track. And I love that. I do, too. Well, and it's. Born to Run was in consideration to be the first track, not surprisingly. And yeah. at, at a certain point, they, the guys in the room just pretty much, I think it was John Landau who finally made the determination, like, no, it needs to be Thunder Road. Thunder Road needs to yeah. be the, the first word on the album. And and Thunder Road went through, and we talked about this in our episode about Thunder Road, but it went through a lot of incarnations. Like, it it, it didn't just come out fully formed. He wrote probably probably a couple dozen versions of this song and was playing it live before he finally came to what it what it sounds like now. And it is... It's unbelievable. It's it's such a and like you said, it starts really small and it builds and you it, it becomes it starts out with just like Bruce harmonica and guitar and then it kind of builds and then by the end it's the whole band and Clarence on the saxophone is really kind of um, stretching his chops and you would think like yeah. this is this is as good as it gets if if we hadn't already heard Jungle Land also you know well and, and so, by the end of it like the band is they're doing this like. Uh, Rock and roll band. It almost sounds like a band that you would hear playing backing somebody up, a rock, or you know, a rock musician up, like in, uh, like in Fort Worth. You know, mm-hmm. it's like got so many cool, unheard. I don't know. It, yeah, the band is doing some really cool stuff. And the band, it's very tight. Also, also, um, I think this is Roy Bitten uh, played a big part in crafting this piano part, which is significant because. Uh, like like we said before, David Sanchez up until this point had been the piano player for the E Street Band, and after they recorded the song "Born to Run," he left the band to get for his own record contract. Which, like we mentioned last week, that probably, considering everything he knew, that probably was a good idea, especially since he just spent yeah. six months making one song because Columbia Records wasn't even sure they were going to keep Bruce on their roster or not. You know, so so David Sanchez, I think probably for at the time, like made the wise choice. It's just it was a great business decision. It was. It just happened to be like the one time that was not the right business decision happened to be when you were about like you, you leave the E Street band just before Bruce Springsteen explodes. So but they bring in Roy Bitten and I think Roy really helps sort of craft like the, the um the uh the scaffolding of this song, especially yeah. as, as far as the the th- the piano riff goes. So and really, th- this song is a good showcase for what is now the E Street Band, which is like you mentioned before, it's a lot tighter than it used to be. Because, in, in fact, um, in in the documentary, Bruce says, um, "Let's see if I can find it." He he says that he, they really wanted to keep things tight and simple, but th- he says that was a real challenge because as a band, hyperactivity was our business. So like yeah. they, they really like all the stuff that was big and strong about Wild the Innocent, they had to dial all that stuff back. But they couldn't dial it all the way back to the way it was on Greetings from Asbury Park because they needed it to be more than just like an acoustic record with a few instruments here and there. It had to be a whole different animal. And so um, so they bring in Roy Bitten and they bring in Max Weinberg because at this point, Vinny Lopez has also been fired. Vinny, I think, in fact, B- Vinny's fired before they're done recording Born to Run. That's why Ernest Car- Carter is the credited drummer on, on that song because 
Vinny was complaining a lot. He was, uh, he, I think he got a little physical with somebody in the studio. I'm not totally sure who it was. Mm-hmm. He had also um, tried to kind of um, bow up to, to Clarence Clemens a little bit. So Vinny was getting kind of, he was getting hot-headed and territorial. And Bruce goes over to Vinny's apartment one day after they were in the studio. And he says, you're out. You're gone. And Vinny says, I, I forget exactly how the, how the, the Peter Ames Carlin book tells it, but basically Vinny's like, don't I get another chance? Isn't there any grace for, you know, somebody who's been with you for this long? And, and Bruce says, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's dog, your dog out here and you're, you're out. There's, there's no more chances, no yeah. more feelings, but you're That's out. That's it, man. Yeah. So, uh, and Bruce says that they auditioned 60 musicians before Ooh. they, they landed on Roy Bitten and Max Weinberg as, as the drummer and piano player respect. He said 30, he said they auditioned 30 piano players and 30 drummers before they landed on Roy and Max. And both those guys are continue to be, in the E Street Band to this day, yeah, and widely recognized as as gr- some of the greats in their field, <laughs> yeah, like critically so, recognized, yeah. And and we t- we've talked before about like imagine this album if those two guys hadn't joined the band, especially Max Weinberg. I mean, I mean this I, I can't imagine Thunder Road sounding like Thunder Road with Vinny Lopez on drums, you know? Right. Well, yeah, Max's tightness on drums would go as much as Vinny's looseness. As much as Vinny Lopez's looseness defined his first two records, Max Weinberg's tightness defined the rest of his career. And and always to the good. Like the reason, the reason Bruce Springsteen makes albums that sound as tight and strong as they do is because Max is holding up basically just like like, like Atlas with the globe on his shoulders, you know. And so, yeah. Um. In, in fact, one of the things you see in both documentaries, the Wings, Wings for Wheels, but also the the Promise about which is about the making of Darkness on the Edge of Town, they really spend a lot of time talking about how like Bruce almost obsessively is concerned with how the drums sound in the studio. Yeah. And without Max, I don't know that he ever would have been fully satisfied. I, I mean, I don't know that he ever was fully satisfied at all. But I mean, I know w- that w- with Max, with with Max, he had more of a chance of feeling that way. Anyway, so Thunder Road. Oh, also Rolling Stone magazine names Thunder Road the 86th greatest song of all time, which I would argue is 85 too low. But you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so that's Thunder Road. We should probably, we should probably save a little time as much because we have so many single episodes of the rest of these. I know they're all so good. Um, so 10th Avenue freeze out next track. slow with like horns and then just and then just drum roll whole bands in pianos hitting them dim, 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 this high chord you know eight, 16th notes right yeah 16th notes and it's just it's awesome yeah this song was the second single released from this album the first was born to run so this is the second single and i think it did pretty well um and also you mentioned the horns before they were one of the things that you you see in the documentary is they were really really struggling with how to arrange the horn parts no nobody had any sort of notion of how to arrange horn parts and steven was already in the studio like either down the street or down the hall working with Southside johnny and he comes in just to say hey to bruce and and the band and he basically is like oh here's how you're supposed to do the horn parts you're, you're doing it wrong and he yeah like just one day, just because he happened to be in the building, arranges what what has become one of the most iconic Bruce Springsteen intros ever. You know, like and so um, yeah. with, with those horn parts. Well, and he would have been like a big band leader 
uh, had he never joined this band. Like, you know what I mean? Had yeah, he, he never like gotten in a rock and roll career. Yeah, he would have been a big band leader. He would have been <laughs> like an iconic. <laughs> Sort of uh, pre Michael Bublé, <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. A... also, I said those piano notes were sixteenth notes in the beginning. They're eighth notes. I apologize. So and and also like if you look at this whole thing as like scenes from a summer night, like this this totally works too because this this one's about a struggling musician trying to find his way in the world, which is like so true to who Bruce was. And of course, the whole thing hinges on the big man joining the band. So this is this is the the origin story, the mythic origin story of the E Street Band. Basically. Yeah, it's awesome. Or specifically of Bat Scooter and the Big Man. Yeah, love it. I do too. So yeah, so Thunder Road, the scene is like two young kids with their graduation gowns lying at their feet about to get out of town. And then the next one is some young kid wants to start a band. It's not going his way until the Big Man joins the band. You know? Love it. And he this that, that documentary is also the place where Bruce first says about about the phrase 10th Avenue Freeze Out where he says, I don't know what that means. But it's important. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And he talks about the doors being blown off the place. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that doesn't happen specifically in this song, but that is definitely part of the the mythic origin the story mythic. Of, of the big man joining the band. Yeah. For sure. All right. Let's take that new freeze out. Night. Night. Track three. Night. Here's what I love about Night. I don't know that I've heard any other song that sounds like the beginning of a drag race, like a non-professional drag race where the tires squeal. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Just the way it's like, and then the way all the all the instruments, and especially like the wind instruments, they have like a lot of, it's an airy, it's like a really big breathy sound. And so it almost sounds like a takeoff, you know? Yeah, totally. And it's 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 fast. It, it comes shot at, shot right out of a cannon and this song is it's the shortest song on the album it clocks in right at three minutes which also makes it the shortest song bruce springsteen has ever released <laughs> at, up to this point because like Hell the last yeah. two albums were like long songs yeah so this uh this is kind of a change for all that it's also got like a nice low croon you know yeah it does yeah i really like this song. this song is super fun and and it's so it's so quick like if i think if i was if I was in a Bruce Springsteen tribute band, I would always try and keep this song in the rotation because it kind of it scratches the itch of we need something from the Born to Run album, but it's also like high energy and it's really short, so it doesn't cost you a lot of like stage yeah. time, you know. So and it's like crooning that is at a a, a, re- a register that like dudes can do, you know. It's not a hard register. It's like uh, I don't know. It's just nice. Yeah. You know, it's like going to pick an Elvis or a Roy Orbison song. It's like, we can sing this. We can't sing it good, but we can sing it. He does a lot of Roy Orbison style singing in this album. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, oh, it's I love good. it when he does it. And also, I mean, this stays inside the theme of One Summer Night. Like, this is this is the sound of someone getting off of work on a Friday, you know? And yeah. it's the first time, Bruce, it will not be the last time, but it's definitely the first time that Bruce will write a song about getting off work. And it's it's a Yabba Dabba Doo song. I wish that Bruce would start a cover band called Royce uh, Orbenstein. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> Where he just covers Roy Orbison songs. All he does is sing Roy Orbison songs. Uh, Royce Orbenstein. He could also do Cynthia. No one would know that that wasn't a Roy Orbison song. That's true. So, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Night? 
Right, it's five stars. Yeah, it's yeah. a Hall of Fame song. It's I guess, incredible. I, I guess I forgot to say that as well. Like we we rated each of these songs individually, and all but one of them got straight fives from us. So, yeah, uh, and and we'll, we'll get to the one that didn't get straight fives. But anyway, so yeah, so far so far we're it's fives all the way. So yeah. that was night. I feel like we should have more to say about that, but I don't know. It's a short song. We've we've said a lot about it in we the history really of our friendship and in the history of this podcast. Yeah. So then that leads us to track four, which is Backstreets. And this is the quintessential summer night song. This is two guys hanging out, uh, Bruce and Terry, or the narrator and Terry. Tearing up the town. Tearing up the town. Yeah, and it, 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 it has been speculated that this may or may not be a gay love song, which is fine either way. If if that, you know, I, I'm i not at all bothered by that that interpretation of this song. To, to me, it sounds like a song about friendship, but that's because that's the perspective that I bring to it. But if, if somebody's like, this is, no, these are, this is about two men in love, I'm like, that sounds fine too. That, that, that totally makes a lot of sense. So it's, a, it's yeah. about friendship or love or some kind of like deeper, richer connection than you would have with just anybody that you happen to be hanging out with on a summer night is the point. For sure. Right? So yeah, yeah it's, it's about... Well, and, and I, I was actually just driving around listening to the song over and over yesterday just because I was in the mood for it. And I really, the, the line where it says, where he talks about we, we walked like the I, the cowboys that we thought we had to be, you know, like the, that part of this song is about posturing and trying to like prove your manhood in some sort of way to one another, but also to everybody who's not you. And, and so like, it's about, you know, like going through those things with another person. And it's really good. Yeah. You know, th- this song, this song is appreciated for a little while. I think when I first started listening to Bruce Springsteen, I think this was one of my least favorite songs on this record. It's it, it has risen so high in my estimation. Though. And it's one of those that really has just continued to appreciate with time. Hasn't it risen since we started this? Yeah. In fact, I very to, you know, to the sound of many angry emails and <laughs> uh, and, and Facebook. Infamously messages, is the word you're looking for. You very infamously. Infamously. Yeah. I, uh, I gave. I, I gave this album or the song a four and a half when we first reviewed it. I went back and amended that. I, I, I upgraded it to a five. It is on the Hall of Fame. But at first, I, I just I didn't know if it, it, I didn't know for me if it got all the way up to a five. But the more time I spend with it, the more I, I think like, well, yeah, obviously it does. So yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I love the song lately because I was trying to. Uh, we've talked about him on the podcast a little bit, especially in the all media overload. Uh, Orville Peck, he's a game musician who like plays a country star, uh-huh. like in his act. Uh, he he is basically singing in Backstreet's voice the whole time. Oh, he totally and, is. It's like yeah. Josh Groban meets Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. It's great. What does this song do for you? It's been a while. It's been years since we've talked about this song. This song does the same thing for me that like Tenth Avenue Freezeout does. It's like we're going out. We're we're doing it. We're like we're not big, and we're gonna be there. Like we're 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 in this together. You know, is is the feeling. And anytime this song goes off in my head, anytime that I'm like doing something. Uh, I took a quiz today for uh, somebody at work. They're like doing some, you know, work personality typing stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was like, will you, if you th- think there's a better way to do a thing, but it's not the approved way to do it, you will, you know, and then I was like, do it. <laughs> you know, that's the answer that I 
perfect. And that's what this is. Like anytime I think about doing like, you know, that's not the best way to do this. I'm going to do it my way and apologize, like ask for forgiveness. Uh, I think about I, like I'm on the back streets. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what else, what else to say about it. It, it. It's a great, you know, portrait of a summer night. It's a good scene. It's a good vignette. Yeah. It's it's one of the most iconic Bruce Springsteen uh, songs ever. In fact, the the online magazine about Bruce Springsteen is called Backstreets.com, you know, or yeah. .net, which one, whichever one, Backstreets something. So Backstreets magazine. So yeah, this this song is held in just incredibly high regard. So th- this is that's the final track on on side one. So we flip the vinyl, we we put it down. Track one, side two, title song, Born to Run. <laughs> Also, the, maybe the best track one side two song of all time. I I mean yeah, <laughs> it, that's that's hard to deny for sure. It, it's so interesting. I, I cannot believe like the pillars that hold this album up are just unbelievable. You know, like you got yeah. the but both the first and the last and also the middle songs are just like th- th- this album just holds itself up so well and. Yeah, the beginning and the end of each side is Thunder Road, Backstreets, Born to Run, Jungle Land. Yeah, I mean, that alone, those four songs are a great album. And then you fill it in with the ones yeah. that are in, in the middle. Like, yeah. Those four songs are a great career. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely it true. It reminds me of Willie Nelson tells a story about how, like, his three most famous songs he wrote in two nights. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> not even especially sad. Just, like, he was bored and in a hotel or something, you know, like, yeah. on the road. And, and that's what this is. This is, like, this is a career with bonuses <laughs> oh that's absolutely yeah well and i mean even if we're, i think we're to the point now even if bruce never made another album or even if every other album he made had been human touch we still would be talking about the greatness of this album you know what i mean oh 100 yeah like this this is this is one of those albums i mean just because of how it impacted the music landscape of its day like he he really i mean i'm glad he continued to make, obviously i'm really glad he continues to make music but if if for some reason he had just disappeared, this album would still be something we'd be talking about. Yeah. You said even if he did make just human touches, like he went on to make two human touches. <laughs> and we are still here talking about this. Yeah. But yeah, if, if his if his whole career had been de- defined by this one album and then a bunch of uninteresting albums and, and then a bunch of flops, you know, we still would be like, yeah, but man, that's the guy who made Born to Run, you know? So, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it's uh, it, it is one of those those great albums, and this is the ty- this is the song that started it all. And and we already mentioned it before that you know he spent like six months in the studio, and and people were quitting the band, <laughs> and uh, and just really and and Bruce and like like we said, like Bruce continued to just go over and over and over again. It's not right. It's not right. It's not right. And this is this is what came out of it. And it's yeah. it's a it's a absolute. It, it is the definitive Bruce Springsteen song. This is it. This is the one live staple. You know what I mean? Like I, I realize like. Depending on when you catch him, like there have been other live staples like Thunder Road or Rosalita or um, Dancing in the Dark even. But really, this is the one. This is this is the one that if you go see a Bruce Springsteen show and there's a band and he doesn't do this song, you wonder if he's okay. You know, yeah. like anyway, yeah, it's 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 a fantastic song. And then that leads us to track people six. People are trying to get that guitar tone now, you know. 
Oh yeah. Oh th- yeah. yeah. There's all sorts. And by the way, if you if you go and like either read Brian Hyatt's book or watch the documentary, you see like all the different things that they were doing to try and improve on the sound of this one song. Like Danny Federici is playing a glockenspiel at some point. Yeah. Uh, David, when you Sam- said that. That's the part that came up in my headphones. It was wild. Oh, that's weird. That's crazy. So yeah, th- th- this song is just. I don't know. It's just so propulsive and it's so great. And it is, it is one of those songs like it, you just never, I, or at least I never, ever get tired of it. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So that leads us to track six, which is She's the One. With a graces and a secret places that no Which we notoriously panned. Panned by only giving it four. <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> it is a good song. It's on it's any other album. It's the best song on the album. But it's 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 on Border. It it happens to share the fate of like all the other songs on this album. And like if you have to say like one of these songs, it, it put a gun to my head and say one song on Born to Run has to go. I don't even have to think. It's got to be She's the One. You know, I but, think that I'm thinking the opposite of you. You said that on any other record, it's a you know, it's the best song. I mean, like, yeah, there's a lot of records where it is, but it's it's uh, I think that it's it's maybe if someone else recorded on their record, we wouldn't have given it as high of a rating as we did because it sits in such a perfect space. Oh, maybe so, on such yeah. a perfect record. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like a guy uh, who who's like. Uh, it's like sports analogy, a guy who's who's a decent you know player on any team, but it does one thing really well, and there's like an incredible team that needs someone who does one thing really well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like that. So like just being on this album gives it a little bit more goodwill. Well, giving it yes, but only because it feels like this album just needed like something like this. This album just needed a little bit of this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, and and it, again, it needed you... like a little bit of a doo-wop party you know, song on this, on this side, right? You got like born to runs, you know, it's a party song, but it's a challenge, you know, me across the river. That's heavy jungle land. That's, 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 you know, like operatic. So it needed, like, it needed something that you could just kind of vibe to. She's the one like a chill. And, but, but also still rock and roll and it needed kind of a love song, you know? Well, for, especially if you, if you look at it as, as a, as a group of set pieces about a single summer night, like you got to have at least one love song about a girl. If, yeah. if you're making up like because that was always sort of one of my concerns about this also is that it tends to be the one that isn't about just escapism. But yeah. then if you look at it through the lens of like, yeah, but it's about summer nights, then, oh, OK, OK, OK. So so what we're talking about is like somebody who met a girl and then fell in love with her like right then and there. And they're going to they're, they're just going to hang out until the sun comes up. Like that's a summer right. night experience, yeah. you know. And it's got that like the Bo Diddley not fade away kind of beat to it, which is like, you know, famously you know, it's one of the most famous like backbeats of all time. Yeah, shares rock and roll, hip hop. Yeah, it's one of the most used beats ever. Um, yeah, that's the thing is like it's it's a it's an amazing song. I, I just it, but it also fills like a very specific need on this record. Yeah, it does. and I mean it has some incredible drumming guitar work and some really neat arrangement. I would imagine that when they were touring on this record, I would imagine this was one of the highlights of the live show because it's got it's got really big energy. 
Bruce well, the band gets to do something a little different, you know? Like, it takes a few turns. Right after halfway point, it kind of changes a little bit, you know? You get into some some different sort of chord progressions that aren't as poppy. But then you go right into, like, a really super poppy, you know, oh, she's the one. Mm-hmm. So, it's you know, it's like, it's got it's got a lot of really good bits. Yeah, it does. I guess this is... Not, the reason maybe it's not, uh, if I was, it's not iconic. Like, the re- every song in this record is iconic, and this song is just, like, a really well-crafted song. Right. Well, and defenders of the song would argue that it, it totally is iconic, but I, I tend to agree with you. I, t- I tend to, to think, like, this is the one that just doesn't, it just doesn't stand out for me in any kind of way. It, it is, like you said, it's, it's an incredible song. It's a really good song. But, again, you put a gun to my head and you say, something has to go off of Born to Run, and I'm, I'm going to yeah, remove She's one. the One, for sure. I'd rather not. But I will if I have to. Yeah, I'd rather add one song than or two songs than remove one. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I'd I'd rather leave it exactly as it is. I, w- I would never That's I would never attempt point. to uh, you know paint paint an extra coat on the Mona Lisa. It's a good point. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like to give it a shot. The Mona Lisa. Sure. I think I could at least make her smile. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, that was the worst thing I've ever said. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's why I said it is because I thought it would be funny enough because I thought it was right, but <laughs> still, it's <just> terrible. <laughs> All right, so after she's the one, yeah. So then you got meeting across the river. Hey, can you lend me a few bucks tonight? Can you get us a ride? Gotta make it through the tunnel. Got a meeting with a man on the other side. There are books of short fiction about this song. There are. Yeah, it's like, well, maybe there is, but there could be, there could be are. (laughs) Yeah, like the horns at the beginning are insane. And it's so, it's so theatric. Like the, it's almost an injustice that Bruce was never the, like, uh, the, uh, music director for a theater, you know? Yeah. Trumpet. We got some trumpet. It's, It's almost like, would it have been better? Would he have made better music if he had been the the uh, composer and director for the orchestra at a at a nice theater? If, you Bruce, know? if Bruce had been become like the real life Mr. Holland for Mr. Holland's Opus, yeah. <laughs> or if he had taken like a Lin Manuel turn, you know? Oh, and just done like Broadway musicals. Yeah, that would have been interesting. He could have done but it. I, mean, I think he would have been really good few. at that. You know, he's written a few. And so it's like you kind of wonder what what he could have done if he had dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's one of the great storytellers. So yeah, this, this song, it, this is sort of where where it goes a little bit dark because so far everything's been really it, again the summer night motif. You've got guy and a girl headed out of town. They don't know where they're going, but they're going there fast. The band gets to, like the track two. It's a guy starting a band. The band comes together. Everything's gonna fall into place. Track three. Guy gets off work. The, the whole world is in front of him. Track four, two, two dudes just roaming around the back streets, enjoying each other. Number five. High-fiving and or making out. Yeah. Yeah. Num- yeah. Number five, it's more escape. Number six, it's about love. Number seven, we're going to go do some crimes. You know, right. like, so now it's... Uh, we're, crimes. It's crime time. Yeah. Because it's... If you're, if you're in the New Jersey, New York area and you're writing a song about... Or an album about summer nights, 
Man, somebody out there is committing some crimes. <laughs> I love that he said we're going to go do some crimes. It reminds me of Don't Take Drugs <laughs> from, from Almost, Almost Famous. famous. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> the way his mom says that to me is the most naive way. It's not even like – it's a word – like dr- people who do drugs say take drugs sometimes, you know? Don't but take drugs. Like, yeah. It's, it's, when, some reason it's when your mom yells it's... it at you through a car window. <laughs> yeah. Don't take drugs and don't do crimes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this guy in Meeting Across the River – uh, he and his buddy, they're going to go do some crimes, and, and this guy's going to do all the talking. <laughs> his buddy's going to do all the crimes. They're going to do all some crimes. They're going to go across the river to the New York side, I assume. So that's what this song is. This song really, and this song, if you're listening to it all the way through, and you've kind of been grooving on what it's been offering you, this song is very abrupt. This song kind of drops out a little bit from like the wall of sound that is the rest of this album. Yeah. You know? Because, yeah, Born to Run and She's the One are very big and loud, and they fill the space. Meeting Across the River is – it sounds like the beginning of a David Mamet movie, and it's uh, – which is exactly, I think, what he's going for. But it, it's, uh, it's a lot thinner than, than the rest of the album. But it really I – think, I think this song is exactly what you need to cleanse your palate before you go into Jungle Land, which is track eight. The Rangers out of homecoming been hard night and a magic rat drove his slick machine over a jersey state line barefoot girl sitting on the hood of a dodge drinking warm beer in the soft summer rain the rat pulls in the town rolls up his pants together they take a stab at no mass and disappear down so jungle land is is this massive rock opera that takes place somewhere in New Jersey because everything about New Jersey is mythical when Bruce Springsteen is talking about it. So that's right. And again, it's a summer night. You got you got two groups of people. You got um, you got some factions. You got barefoot girl sitting on the hood of a Dodge drinking warm beer in the soft summer. Uh, does it say rain? In the soft. Yeah, yeah. And um, and they're gonna make their stand down in Jungle Land. So we're we're in the middle of some conflict, but it's also like kind of a cool summer night. Well, and it's also a, like a dancing music box, you know, mm-hmm. at the beginning. The whole beginning is just like, is 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 sort of a fairy tale. Yeah, it totally is. But yeah, that's true. I get like the the strings and the piano. It does. It makes you feel like once upon a time in a faraway land called New Jersey. You know, I don't even think about the strings. There are such sneaky strings in Jungle Land. They're doing the so when the piano goes bum bum bum, the strings are playing the uh the the sort of drawing it between those notes yeah it's beautiful i don't know that i've ever noticed that until you just pointed it out oh my gosh <laughs> yeah if you if you look at the the credited musicians there's like a handful of violin players there's a flugelhorn yeah. um it's the violin the- players are going on the beginning in between those notes and so it's it makes the piano sound like it's like floating on a cloud of fairy dust yeah man it's I've I've seen Bruce do this song twice live. Um, interestingly, at my very first Bruce Springsteen show and at my most recent Bruce Springsteen show, he did nice. it. And man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like being in a, in in the room when Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band go into Jungle Land. I love it. My yeah. wife hates it. the The five minute sax solo is more than she can bear. She does not like the saxophone. I think it's wonderful. It I think it transports us to yeah. a whole other place for me at least. It's very special. It is. It is a special song. It becomes super rock and roll right after that, you know? Yeah. It's it yeah, goes, it, yeah. Uh, a little girl's like ballerina music box to a rock and roll song. Yeah, to an opera out on the turnpike. Yeah. Like an op like a uh a, a dancing theater piece about fighting. 
you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This he this one thing about Bruce is like he really touches that uh he's the grittier version. Uh, a lot of his songs like the grittier version of um West Side Story. Yeah, well, yeah, just the idea of like this mythic rock opera in the middle of just an urban setting where people don't really think about anything magical or mythical happening. And so Bruce Bruce is really good at finding things that feel sacred inside of the mundane. Even even when it's just people like beefing over territory. Yeah. Yeah, so th- this apparently the saxophone solo was a torturous process. Apparently like apparently Bruce pretty much just like tortured Clarence until they got this exactly right. In fact, they uh, in the in the documentary Clarence uh, talks about how he was finishing this solo. They were loading the van outside to go on tour while it, while like Clarence was upstairs like still trying to finish this solo. <laughs> and also the guitar solo is like the precursor to all hair metal. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, man. It's, it's very so big. good. N- not unlike Bohemian Rhapsody. Bon Jovi was such a huge a Bruce Springsteen fan, and he tried to sound like Bruce Springsteen for a long time, and then he became like the guy that, like the the god of the god of pop hair metal. But like that guitar solo in Jungle Land is the part where you're like, oh, this is Bon Jovi's entire career. <laughs> yeah. Not to diminish Bon Jovi, I, he's one of my absolute favorite artists. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, but he, saying, he like, took a lot of his cues from Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to talk about uh, an artist I love whose entire career could fit into the first minute of a song in our bonus episode about a tr- tr- best track one side ones yeah uh after uh let's go in live to this so yeah jungle land man yeah man that, and again we we did a whole episode and I, I don't know if there's more gushing we can really do for this it's just i i love this song this is okay my my favorite song by bruce springsteen or maybe my favorite song of all time is thunder road my second favorite song is jungle land they are the first and last tracks of this record. This is why this record is my favorite record because record. it begins and ends with my two favorite songs ever. So it's, it's fantastic. And, and again, like it cannot be overstated how much Bruce did not trust his own intuition while they were making this. In fact, one, one of the stories that they tell is like after they recorded all of this stuff, after they brought back the final, like the demo when either Mike Appel or Jimmy Iovine shows up and he has, he has the tape and, and he comes in and they're like, okay, let's listen to what it sounds like. And they listen to it. According to the people in the room, Bruce, after they listened to it, Bruce took the tape, went outside, and threw it into the swimming pool. Why? He, he just, he was so, it just wasn't what he wanted it to be. Every, every, like, he, like this is where all of Bruce's insecurities and imperfectionism shows up. He, he just continues. Well, and, and probably because he's made two other albums that he probably thought were really good and nobody responded to. And he knows that if this album isn't everything he needs it to be, he won't ever make another album ever again. And so he sees his whole future in front of him. And it's like, if this album is good, you, you get, you, you live to record another day. If this album is bad, you got to go w- apply for a job in the textile factory that your dad works at, you know? Yeah. And so like, those are the, the, those are the two paths set before him and failure is not an option. And so he continues over and over and over again to say, it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. In fact, at a certain point, John Landau comes to him and says, look, we can't do this anymore. The album is done. The album is as good as it will ever be. And he says, if you have any more ideas, save them, because those those ideas are going to be your first ideas for the next record. We cannot keep doing this. So John Landau really kind of pulled him out of the ditch a few times. In fact, um, there's a story early on. One of the things about this was because Columbia was just not investing a lot of money in him at this point is they were recording at the first recording studio, which was at 914 Sound Studios in Blauvelt which is where Bruce recorded the first two albums. And 
the literally the first thing John Landau says when Bruce brings him aboard is, "We got to get you guys another studio. This 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 one is not working." And so Landau ends up getting them moved to the record plant, which probably made a huge difference because just right. like the the quality of the equipment, the the acoustics in the room. Just every, every and, and probably band morale was probably at a point where it's like, how are we going to make something new when we're stuck in the same like cheap studio? We've recorded the first two albums that didn't do anything for us. So, yeah. so John Landau comes in at the beginning and moves them to a new studio, and at the end, he's the guy that has to like has to convince Bruce to stop changing things and to just say like, this album is what it is. This is the album. We have to turn it in. We have to be done. And obviously, it it totally worked. So, which is why not only does John Landau deserve a producing credit for this album, he also totally earned his place in the Bruce Springsteen inner circle for the rest of his life. So yeah, it was, and of course there a lot of, it's something that would uh, show up in a big way later is that part of that was John Landau had to be the guy who continues to kind of push against Mike Appel. And so Mike Appel up to this point is Bruce's manager and the guy yeah. kind of guiding the ship up to this point. And John and Mike have a lot of conflict. And one of the things we see is, yeah, but, John's the guy who pulled it out of the ditch, and John's the guy who really believed in Bruce, not just in the studio, but also in, in the pages of rock journalism. And so so Bruce ends up putting a lot more faith in John Landau, which really upsets Mike Appel, which creates a rift, which ultimately will result in a three-year ban from Bruce being able to record, which will ultimately result in the next album. The, the one record that uh, people widely enough, like as widely as people disagree, this is the best record, uh, most of those people think that <laughs> the next one is the best. So. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a real conversation among Bruce Springsteen fans. Darkness on the Edge of Town versus Born to Run. Anyway, so this song, th this album, it, it uh, they record it, they release it, it hits like a bomb, and it, it changes Bruce's life. And so now the newly reformed, I guess, uh, or the, the newly minted E Street Band with the new membership intact – uh, goes out on tour, and this is when Stephen Van Zandt joins the band. He he's not actually he he wasn't in the band while they recorded Born to Run, um, but he went out on tour with them to support the album and stayed in the. band And he's for been in time. Bruce's circle since he, they were kids. Yeah, or yeah, teenagers, it, teenagers. Which is why, yeah. yeah, which is why he was allowed to go into the studio and say like, do the horns differently because yeah, he already, and they played together a ton. Yeah, but they 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 happened to not be in the same band until until the tour for this record. So. They were sort of like uh, competing. Uh, in their own personal scene, like in their own city scene, is like who was the best? Yeah, they they were both generally regarded. It, it was pretty much a, according to stories told from the time. If you were paying attention to music on the Jersey Shore, it was pretty much just like who's the better, who's the best guitar player around here? Is it Springsteen or is it Van Zant? Yeah, or even yeah, uh, guitar player, frontman, band leader. Yeah, it was like it was like Beatles or Stones for the Shore. And and Stephen was there before Bruce. I, the way I, I read it, not like a ton, but you know, like he was he was the guy. And then Bruce showed up. Yeah, he was a lot more established uh, in the Jersey Shore music scene, for sure. Yeah. But I think when Bruce put this record out, Stephen can hear. That's one thing he's most famous for is knowing which Springsteen songs are the good one. And that's the thing is like I, th I think they both realize that like that Stephen could maybe help him be a band leader, and could assist on guitar duties and yeah. And even to this day, when Bruce is when Bruce talks about this album and playing this album, he says this is a quote. He says. When we play that album on stage, it's a bit sacramental between me and the band. There's and so he he talks about like every time they play this album or anything from this album, it's like we went through something together and and that changed us. And this these songs are the result. And so we hear them and we love these songs, but these songs will never mean as much to us as they do to Bruce Springsteen and the people yeah. who were in the in the studio with him when they made these songs, you know. Yeah. And that's that's really cool. That's very special, I think. 
So out of the records we've talked about so far, where where does this one fall? I assume this is your favorite of the three we've talked about so far. Yeah, I mean, I already kind of tipped my hand. Like, this is my favorite album ever. So this is my current if, – if we're ranking the Bruce Springsteen albums as far as we've gotten so far, my number one is Born to Run. My number two is Wildly Innocent and the Street Shuffle. And my number three is Greetings from Raspberry Park. What about you? So I'm Born to Run, one. Mm-hmm. Greetings to three, Wildly Innocent. So pretty close. We're just inverting yeah. the two seventy-three albums. Yeah, and I think as our list grows out further, we'll probably have those two records in the same place, just inverted. Yeah, that's probably right. I think I think you're probably right. All right. Well, I, any final thoughts on Born to Run? It's one of the best records ever made. Uh, it's got some of my favorite songs of all time. It's yeah. It's I, I think about this record every day of my life and. So go listen to it. It's it's so so Even so. You've heard it. Go listen to it again. Absolutely. All the way through. Don't like go listen to it and then do something else. Like put it put it on your calendar in the next two weeks. Just plan plan your day out around like forty five yeah. minutes. Put some pillows down on the floor, you know, on a nice rug. Put it on your record player or in your headphones or whatever. Just lay down in the floor. Look up at the ceiling. Don't close your eyes. You'll go to sleep. Look up at the ceiling. Just stare at the ceiling. Listen to this record. It'll change your life. All right. Well. If you are one of our patrons, you can uh, join us on the patron feed. We're going to keep the conversation going. We're going to talk about our top five track one side one songs. And uh, and then also here in the main feed, the next episode we, we do, we'll be talking about Bruce's fourth album, which is 1978's Darkness on the Edge of Town. So until then, JB, thanks for hanging out. Man, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> it, indeed it has. So now let's... Uh, Let's ride these sleep machines across the Jersey state line one more time. One more time. All right. We'll see everybody next time for Darkness on the Edge of Town.